0: This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. For over 75 years, Ozark Christian College has been preparing students for ministry. Ozark's 15,000 alumni are serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world, carrying the gospel to every part of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. For more on Ozark's residential and online degrees, visit occ.edu. Welcome to The Homilist. This is Jared Ellis. Let me begin by first saying thank you. Thank you for listening to these conversations. I realize that sometimes my inner fanboy, combined with my ADD, doesn't make me a great long-form interviewer. But you've overlooked that, uh, and you've listened anyway, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't thank you enough for uh, for doing that. Um, I also can't let the cat out of the bag just yet. But uh, if you could see this list in front of me, this list of upcoming guests, oh, you might lose your mind. You also, you also might subscribe and you might go to the and sign up for the exclusive content so you don't miss any announcements. And then you might even share this episode so that in some way we can reach out and we can encourage other guys who are in the pulpit on a weekly, on a weekly basis. So all that, but here's the thing. I haven't even introduced you to today's guest. Yes, you read that right. Today's guest is Albert Tate. How did that happen? Now listen, I will gush more on Albert in the exclusive content this next week. But let me say this. Albert's preaching style is historical. If you've heard him, then you know what I mean. You can't listen to Albert and not hear the voices of the great orators of the past. I know. I I know. My fanboy's showing again, isn't it? I'm sorry. Okay, I'm done. This is my conversation with Albert Tate.
1: albert tate welcome to the homilist <laughs> so glad to be here man i appreciate appreciate <laughs> you taking the, the homilist yeah the homilist so appreciate you taking the time uh to do this hey i want to uh i want to jump into i want to jump into the preaching part of this real quick I'm, I'm curious about the mechanics of different preachers one guy i was interviewing i said uh, i was talking to him about you know just just general oratory, like the, like the real orators of, of preaching and of history, and I'm asking him about it and I said, you know, who are the guys that are just, I mean, just blowing people away, They step into the pulpit from stage presence to words to inflection to, you know, mood and tone and emotion, who is just knocking it out of the park? This is one of my college professors named Dr. Mark Scott and uh, Dr. Mark Scott said, you know who's doing that very, very, very well right now? Probably one of the best in the country who's doing this right now. I said, no. He goes, Albert Tate. If you can get a hold of Albert Tate. He, says, he is, He is. what he's doing is so special. Like, you just do not hear this kind of preaching anymore. You know, you just rarely hear it. And that's what he told me. And I wasn't familiar with who you were, and he was like, you got to, and it's so. I thought that was so awesome, and I wanted to. I mean, I wanted to talk to you about about that more and more. What's your first approach when you're coming to a text and you want to? You're writing a new. You're writing a new sermon, some new material of some sort, whether it's a class or whatever. But specifically for that oratory style of preaching, to where you step in and you just you get everybody on the boat and you yeah. just. Off. What's the first thing that you begin to do? What's your process in that?
2: Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. And I appreciate your professor. Um, I, I, don't know, I don't know how credible it is, but, uh, but I, I appreciate that. Uh, and it's good just to be on your show. So congrats on the, on the new show and, and all the success. Um, so I start with the end in mind. So when you look at a text, um, after I've done the, my technical work, my study, what does the text say? Then I begin to pray and say, Lord, what do you want to do in the room? Uh, when I get done, what, where, where does it end? So I, I tell preachers, and I've, I have this philosophy myself, I want to hijack the lunch table. Uh, people that are going to lunch after the service, I want to hijack it. Whatever was scheduled, I want to disrupt it and I want them to be, be saying, we've got to talk about Sunday's message. Mm-hmm. Like we got to talk about it. So the, the application is really a big deal. And then you work backwards because um, it needs to be a crescendo uh, that lands with Holy Spirit application to somebody's life that prayerfully disrupts them in a way that brings them closer to God. So start with the end in mind, But then at the same time, back up when you get to the beginning, man, I was trained and taught that the first two minutes are the most pivotal. Um, So you need to be intentional uh, about that and you need to grab their attention. And after you grab their attention, then you need to create tension. There needs to be some tension in the, in the text. Um, My, um, My grandmother used to watch Matlock. It was a show about this lawyer with a suit all the time. Matlock, and and, uh, every week you watch Matlock, and every single every single week Matlock would win the case. Matlock would win the case. So it's no it's no suspense. It's like grandmother, why do you why are you watching Matlock every week if you know he's gonna win every week? She says, no, no, no. You don't watch, wondering if he's gonna win. You watch saying how's he going to pull it off this time Mm -hmm. every sunday we know jesus is going to win people are coming back to see how is jesus going to pull it off this time in that you've got to create tension you've got to uh get in the culture in the contextualization of the passage and get into that world create tensions and then bring it to a resolve so i think those are some of the those are some of the some of the intentionality that some of the intentionality that needs to come into the preaching moment that goes well beyond just a homiletical plot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, you're 100 percent right. You're 100 percent right. You, your grandmother was 100 percent right. It is got, got zero to do it. Do you think he's going to win? Of course he's going to win. How is he going to win? Do you think it's very similar with the preacher? You know, you took it and immediately went to Jesus. Um but do you think people also do that with the preacher? The preacher, you compose a problem, and do people come to hear the preacher? Like, okay, so how are you going to write a new book report on the same book this week?
2: Yeah, I think they, you know what, there's an old saying, and it really resonates with me. People don't come back um, to hear you preach. People come back to see if you still believe. Oh. So I feel like people are looking for hope. People are looking for inspiration. People are looking for light some folks are coming in man you don't know what they're up against what they faced that week and when they see you still standing still preaching and still declaring and still believing sometimes that's the message that speaks way louder than your sermon and people are inspired because you still believe yeah Yeah. and
1: and from what I from from what I see um, for a lot of guys who get into um, you know bigger churches and bigger areas I don't I don't know what that's like, but I can tell you in in rural areas, there's a lot of people. Man, it's really based on your it's really based on your person. You know, it's based on. I mean, they they will come to church in time based on you outside the church more so than I heard you're really good in church. Well, I want to see this other part. I want to see how do you. How do you function outside of it when you're at the gym? How do you function when you're when you're downtown, when you're with your boys, when you're hanging out in the park, when you're with your family? You know, that seems to make a, in a rural area, that seems
2: to make a difference. But you come from a long line of preachers. Is this is this right? Yeah, both of my grandfathers were pastors and preachers, and I pastored in rural area of Mississippi, Peelahatchee, Mississippi, uh, for five or six years. I pastored a church of about seven people and grew it to about 14 people. So I I know what it's like to be in a small town and in that community. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, man, preaching assumes um, whole life transformation. So in other words, uh, good quality preaching that moves heaven um, comes from a life that has been shaped and formed by heaven. You know what I mean? So... James gives a warning that I think we should really pay attention to. We should be very careful um, for those that opt into teaching and preaching, um, because if we do it out of a place of hypocrisy or inauthenticity, then uh, he says there's a special place in the afterlife Mm -hmm. designed for us that's not the most pleasurable place. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a warning there. Man, if you ain't living it, don't try to preach it. Yeah. you can go be a salesman. You can go sell insurance. You can go do something else. Don't mess around with God's word and preaching over people if it's not coming from a life place. Uh, they're just they're just safer jobs out there. That's just a very dangerous job to have. To be an inauthentic preacher, not preaching from a life that's been deeply transformed and shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: And that's not sustainable. I mean, it, and you see that long you see that long term. Right? Yeah. With a lot of guys, you know, um, I mean, every year there's a brand new there's a brand new, you know, a handful or, you know, gathering of, of, of young, not sometimes not even young ministers, preachers, guys who, man, they just flew to the top. And you've known them and you've seen their name and they flew to the top. And then there's just this crash on the other side. And sometimes wow. I mean, sometimes my worry is. Man, we, I think it just happened too fast. You know, it was just one, just, just, just too fast. You know, um, man, that's just that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous thing. You're right. I appreciate that. I appreciate that word of warning. That's a good, that's a good word of warning. You're, you're 100% right. You know, I just met with a guy, and he, um, he just told me, he just told me uh, last night we went to dinner, and he said, uh, I really want to go into ministry. He's 43 years old, and mm-hmm. Said, man, I want to go into ministry. Man, he's a cool—he's a cool cat. I mean, he's one of those guys. He's just a cool cat. And You know, the whole time I'm talking to him, I had this—I had that same feeling of just, man, I want that for you because you know the life. I mean, you know the life of being a preacher, and there is—and there's a—it's a—it's such a rewarding thing, and it can be—it can be laborious and exhausting at times, but man, it is such a wonderful life to, you know, to to be a preacher, and I and I want that for this guy. Yeah. At the same time, man. It, sometimes the the standard of it, and I don't mean standard as in the way other people see you, but man living living at that, what seems like God has elevated the level on that thing, and you know Scripture seems to talk about that a little bit. That you're going to take this on, you better live it at this level. You know. Yeah. And man, that's that's steep, and it, it's kind of hard to tell somebody that. It's kind of hard to look at somebody and say, you know, fella, you you're going to have to like this needs to start from a different place. You know. Wow. People get the call, and I think the Lord's calling me to preach. I think the Lord's calling me to preach, you know.
2: Well, and it's the reality that he calls you to preach, but before he calls you to preach, he calls you to die Mm -hmm. uh, in a very deep way. And if you don't answer that part of the call, then I'm sorry. Those lights will burn you, Uh, the lights from the stage. uh, They will consume you if you haven't had a substantial Transformation on the inside. Those and those lights will expose you. Now, now here's the flip side. Um, I'm I'm one text message away from that being me. I'm with you. I'm one phone call away. I'm one Facebook uh, friend request away from doing that. So it's not a sense of oh, you need to have it together like I've got it so together. No, it's a daily desperation, uh, a plea for God, please keep me. Uh, Please keep my mind. Please keep my eyes. Please keep my heart. Um, And every time I stand on that platform, trembling, saying, God, if you don't speak, life change will not happen. So it's just staying in that posture consistently and resisting the temptation to develop two tracks. So I'm looking at pornography, but I'm also preaching and I've created two lanes where that can live comfortably in one house. Um, when you do that, that's when the trouble comes. Like that's when when you because you're preaching then from a place of I've learned how to do it. um, And I've also created space for me to uh, mm. please my flesh and live in both. And I've lost this God this God awe and wonder and fear that forces me to daily surrender and confess in, you know what I mean? So it, it, it ain't about having it together. It's about desperately depending on God to keep it together while we mess up daily, bro. We, we make mistakes daily. Yeah.
1: What's the, uh, what's the process that you take to keep yourself in that place, Albert?
2: Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is having accountability, having safe places and friends where you can sit down and say, Hey, um, I'm struggling this week. Um, my eyes have been 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 wandering this week, or I'm I've lost my passion for the Word. I'm not studying the Word, or um, I feel like my I'm gre- uh, I'm looking at other pastors and what they make, and I'm looking at the n- amount of people in their church, and I'm discouraged about my numbers and discouraged about how much. I- well, all of that you need a safe space where you can be honest and open and then invite truth to be spoken back into you. So the the biggest gift to me is not doing life or ministry in isolation. I've got friends that know my biggest temptations, know my biggest struggles and know my biggest failure. Um, so there's nothing in my life that's so secret that someone isn't exposed to it, whether it's my wife or my friend circle my accountability group there's a there's a open confession everybody that need to know everything but somebody somebody needs to know everything somebody everything needs to be known by somebody um in that sense so just not living in isolation which is the biggest temptation i think for most pastors because they find it difficult to to have a safe place because they assume that everyone thinks that they're supposed to have it together so to put on display brokenness um is a challenge but i've just learned it's the only way i'm gonna survive Uh, it's the only way i'm gonna survive
1: i will boast all the more in my weakness i don't like that idea but it sure does work better
2: oh yeah well it's it's the way it's the way of the cross it's the way of god uh and it comes against satan's strategy satan's greatest strategy for you and your ministry is to keep your sins secret um if you can keep your sins secret then he can get a foothold in your life and begin to, uh, set you up, uh, because that's what sin does. James says, when it's finished with you, it leaves you for dead. Um, so he, 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 he's just trying to do the divine setup. And I try to strategically position my life to where I don't fall in those traps. Now, bro, I, you know, I sinned this past week. So it's not about perfection, but it's about having community around you, practicing confession. Uh, allowing the grace of God to do what it does. Um, and that's what I try to embrace on, 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 a, on a daily basis.
1: I appreciate that. I uh, appreciate that level of transparency. How old are you?
2: 41.
1: 41. Okay, so I'm 41 as well. And one of the things that I've seen in these interviews is that the guys that are kind of a generation above us, the preachers that I've talked to that are a generation above us, um, they, are, they are less inclined to, um, they're less inclined to give much self-disclosure uh, in the pulpit, out of the pulpit. They really kind of keep, and it's not to say that they don't want the accountability, but they're less inclined to talk honest about where they are um, and just the struggles. They just keep them completely out of it, which I think is which I think is good. But it seems like our generation has kind of got to that place of like, look, 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 we have to be honest. Like, is everyone here drowning in this? Is everyone here? you know, struggle with porn? Is everyone here having a hard time in their marriage? Does everyone here, you know what I mean? I mean, it seems like, it seems like, you know, our generation um, has kind of turned that corner a little bit more than the previous generation.
2: Yeah, I think to be fair to those guys, um, I think they had a culture that demanded a level of um, statesmanship, uh, rigor. You just didn't see leaders could put, publicly confessing like that. Um, and if they did, and I'm not sure if the culture even knew what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, our generation, they almost don't trust you unless you confess something because sure. the previous generation didn't show it, but still struggle with it. And when it would be exposed, it was explosive and devastating because they saw them as these uh, spotless lambs. I think our generation have given, has given us permission to be spotless, but but to be transparent about the spotlessness. They, our folks get frustrated when you, when you hide stuff and then get caught and exposed, you know what I mean? So I feel like our generation gives us a little bit more freedom to tell the truth about where we are. Uh, and that garnishes respect. Whereas I think a previous generation, there's no way they would have survived in ministry telling the truth about their struggles. Cause I don't think the kind con- the culture would receive that. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think they had a different demand on that. So, in that sense, it's better, uh, but it's still hard to lean into that kind of vulnerability uh, and transparency. But I feel like people are just more open to that now. Yeah.
1: Um, the first the first time that I kind of heard you speak of of, uh, kind of open up that open up that door of letting a little bit of you. I think you were at Willow Creek, uh, and I was listening to you. I was listening to your sermon. I can't remember exactly what it was on, but you stopped, you stopped midway through or right towards the end and you said, I need to be honest with you. I was in the hotel yesterday and, and I realized that I, I'm out of gas. I'm burnout. out. Um, it's, mm-hmm. and that man, that was refreshing. That was really refreshing for me to hear. Now, I'm, I'm sure on your end, it wasn't real refreshing, but on <laughs> mind, it was very refreshing because. When you preach week to week, and I'm sure you're—I mean, your preaching your preaching schedule is even more intense because you're on the road traveling and traveling and at airports. Um, it can be exhausting, you know. Oh. It can be just—it yeah. can tap you out. And I heard you say that, and I thought, golly, that is—that's refreshing to hear, you know. Um yeah. You're the guest speaker, Albert. You're the guest speaker. You're not supposed to go there and talk about like. Ah. I don't know how. It was beautiful. I loved it. I appreciated it.
2: Yeah. Well, the most most dangerous thing, it's a famous quote. One of the most dangerous things about ministry is you can learn how to do it. Um, So consistently fighting the temptation not to get on stage and just push play (laughs) and just perform a message, but to have it flow from an authentic, deep, formed place of your soul, um, man, it requires – transparency, vulnerability, and just telling the truth about where you are and and coming back to that well and saying, Lord, fill me. And if you don't, I'm not just gonna do, I'm just not gonna get up here and tell my greatest hits and tell stories.
0: Yeah. I don't want, I yeah. want
2: your power. I want the power of your word. I want the power of your Holy Spirit to transform lives. There's a husband that needs to be saved. That's gonna change a generation because it's gonna change how he trains up his son. I don't want to mess around with that moment and I don't want to get in the way of what you want to do with that. There's a there's a family that's here that's going to hear the gospel for the first. I don't want to get in the way of that. So, God, you speak. Use me as a conduit of your grace um, and bring this message through your humble servant. um, And that's the posture that I try to get in. And it's hard sometimes to get that posture consistently. uh, But it's the only way that I want to do ministry because it's the way that makes it about God and not about me. I'm not an inspirational speaker. I'm not Les Brown. I'm not uh, the other guy that has all the fun. I'm not. I'm just not that. I could go and do that, but yeah. I'm saying I'm a I'm a voice for the Word of God. I I want to be a conduit of His grace. In order for me to do that, I got to make it about Him, yeah. uh, not about me. Yeah,
1: I appreciate that. That's good. That's good. You uh, speaking of Willow Creek, you've been a real you've been a real friend to them over the last several months. Yeah. Uh, I imagine they've I imagine they've really they've really leaned on you um, as being a pastor of pastors and a pastor to um, kind of the beat up folks there. Uh, You've seen yeah. be, been there a lot lately. They're uh, they're they're having a, kind of a rough go there for 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 a spot.
2: Yeah, you know, I remember um, when I was planning our church, trying to dream about um, outreach and how we do that. And I went to Willow, and the people in the congregation—they're volunteers. They Took me around and showed me their care center and showed me the car uh, place where they do cars for single moms and they showed us the grocery store that they've created for people to come and get food with dignity. Yeah. Uh, and and you know that wasn't that wasn't the the leadership that did that. So if you have issues with the leadership of Willow, those are the everyday folks of Willow. They've hosted and cared for pastors for. Uh, for years from all across the world. So those people have been great to pastors and they've served us well. So I I thought it appropriate in a season where they needed help and they need support that those that they've helped come back and serve and help them uh, Mm -hmm. in their time of need. So I want to be an ally to those folks, those everyday folks that are sitting in the pews, sitting in those seats that have been serving there. They should not be punished for uh, issues with the leadership. Um, so it's been an honor to serve that congregation. There are some amazing people. And when I tell you, God's not done writing the story there, he's up something and he's doing a beautiful thing.
0: Are you or someone, you know, wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start at Ozark Christian college in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible foundation, and commitment to service prepare students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College, your mission is out there. Your training starts here.
1: That's wonderful. Yeah, I think you've been a really great friend to them. I think that's uh, I think that's really cool. Hey, when you when you uh, when you begin to uh, take your steps towards writing uh, writing new material, what dictates what dictates the style that, that you that you go to? Um, what dictates how you're going to deliver the message? You know.
2: Um, the style that I go to. I mean. I, I try to feel the um, the emotion of the text of the passage um, and try to bring that emotion to bear uh, yeah. as I teach through it. So if it's a lament, I try to bring that kind of energy uh, to the congregation so that people can experience it in that way. So, um, so, yeah, so I try to let the tenor of the text set the tone of, of my preaching, yeah. Is it a um, is it unfolding in your head? Just that
1: that constant climb and that constant build, because that's a that's kind of an identifying mark of, of your preaching. You know, that you you really start with it very a very personal thing, and then it just kind of waves into you know, I mean, these tsunami sized waves. You know, and at the end, it comes crashing in. Um, can you can you talk about that? Can you talk about you know how that unfolds for you?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think preaching for me is a lot of reading the room. And I think uh, it's something that's not taught a lot. Um, uh, sometimes we fall into the trap of preaching to the paper when you really need to be preaching to the people. So I feel like you've got to come off of your paper enough to look in the eyes of the people. In a sense, how is the word of God landing on people um, and landing in the room and what needs to happen next to pull them to that vision that you have of what it needs to look like at the end. So I go in with a vision of what I sense the text is calling us to and the place that God is calling us to. What's the best way to get there? So I'm kind of like a a map. I've got, I can get there two or three different ways. I determine how I get there based off of the traffic that I see in the room, right? Um yeah. And usually I need one time through to figure out the route. I need one time through live and then the subsequent services, I figure the route. So for, for guys and for ladies that only have one service, then God bless your heart. You got to figure out that route one time. You just got to get it right. And it just is what it is. Uh, Fortunately, the gift of multiple services is I get the first time to figure out the route. And then the subsequent times, I then just follow that follow that route. So I'm not discovering every time. Um, however, man, when you free yourself up to engage with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the room, there's always about 10 or 15 percent nuance for me. Uh, I have friends that are exceptional preachers that preach to the letter on their paper. Um, and they have somehow found a way to capture the crescendo in their writing. And it just lands in the room. That is a special gift. I don't have that. I've got to find the crescendo in the room as I engage with the people in the room. And then I bring my passage or bring my my uh, message along with the street that they're on. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'm thinking, man, this is level nine uh, excitement, energy, and it lands in the room and it's like two. And it doesn't mean that it's not landing. It's just landing in a way that's deep, that's reflective, and not that's celebrated. Uh, so then it's like, Oh, okay. So I'm screaming. They're crying. Let me shift. So I, I read the room of what God's doing in the room and find the emotion, uh, of the text, the emotion of the heart of God and the Holy spirit. Sometimes in some cultures, man, we run away from emotion and it's a very, it's a very, it's an unhealthy, uh, habit. Like emotion is what is God given. And we should bring that to bear, on the passage because I want to engage your whole body. So your intellect, your heart, your mind. And then I want to inspire you from your socks. I want to inspire you in the deepest places to move you. um, Because when I engage the power of the Holy spirit, that's what he does to me. Why, why, why why would his word not do the same thing when you hear it and when you experience it? So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit about that. I, I create while I preach the first time around. My sermon, I always say my sermon isn't done until I've preached it through once. Then I'm done writing. Until then, I'm not really done writing because the people haven't contributed to the text. I need the people to contribute to the sermon. Yeah,
1: yeah. That, that really does matter. I mean, yeah. there's, things that, there's things that in the lab, if you call it the lab, in the, in the lab, man, they make sense and they're moving, you know, and the sentences that just connect. And you're like, that, man, i just, the lord is working through this i can feel this i can sense it and it's landing it's it's so good and then you know you can take it into the you can take it into the pulpit i mean any given sunday there's a you know some people just kind of shaking their head like "Ah, i mean yeah "Ah, i mean good job you think that's that's a strange deal that's a strange
2: it didn't (laughs) land like i thought it would yeah yeah right it didn't it didn't land and if you don't have, if you don't, if you haven't developed a reservoir or the capacity to take it and then say it another way right, or to then repackage it or to unpack it more in that moment, then you're just kind of stuck. Uh, so that's why I love manuscript and going word for word. But if something doesn't land, you don't you don't have the capacity to repackage that thing. So what, what sometimes I'll say it one way. And then I'll say, all right, uh, that, that that didn't go over well. Let me say it another way. Uh, let me say, ah, now I got you. Sometimes you got to read that in the room to be able to land it um, as you develop your ability to write it in pen. Like I said, because it's, it's a different method, there are guys that can write it and ladies that can write it, and they write it and they can find that crescendo with their pen. I can't do that. I have to find the crescendo in the room.
1: That's cool. Yeah. That's, cool. That's very much a uh – um it's a, it's, a, it's more of an in the acting world that's more of an improvisational thing i mean like that's the improv that's the improv side of acting versus you know the method actor
2: you know yeah um, exactly that's yeah. a great way of putting it i'm probably about 30% improv on any given sunday
1: Wow
2: yeah well wow. do you take notes with you no yeah. you write them you print them so no, I, I have uh, I write an outline uh and then I have a detailed outline and then I memorize the outline in my head. Yeah. So then I go up with the outline, memorize, and then I just kind of go from there. I never learned how to preach with notes. Well, the notes and papers were always a distraction. So I was forced to kind of have it memorized, yeah. uh, which has served me well. But I'd imagine when I get in my 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 60s and 70s, uh, I'm probably gonna be like, I need to write something down. I wish I, I wish I would have learned that method. So you'll,
1: you'll be fine, I'm sure. You'll be fine. <laughs> Let me give you a name. Let me give you a name of a guy. I want you to I want you to hop on and listen to at some point. Um, pull up any one of his sermons. Uh, his name is Dave Erickson. Are you familiar with that name? No. Okay, Dave Erickson at Academy Christian in Colorado Springs um, he's a manuscript he's a manuscript uh, preacher and i told him this on the phone when i talked to him i said listen i said if if your if your preaching style was a genre of music it would be hip hop or rap i said and if if you were an artist you would be Eminem the amount of content inside mm-hmm. of his sermon word per words per document mm. is is so rich and so thick and he's a manuscript guy like like he he commits a lot of it to memory but he stands there with it in front of him and he preaches from that place and turns the pages and if you listen to the you listen to the audio you can hear every once in a while you can hear that sound that that Mm. you know you can hear him turning the pages but he's an excellent reader i mean an excellent which i'm not i'm not a good reader so me following notes terrible you know um but he flies through these sermons, and the sermons are 30, 35 minutes long, but words per document, he doubles what I write um, and, and the notes that I take up on a Sunday morning. I mean Dave Erickson from uh, Academy Christian, if you get a chance to just pull any of his stuff up and just give it a listen, he's got a really smooth cadence too. It, oh just kind of start a story and tell a story and you get everybody on and you don't even know where the story's going, but you're on the freaking boat and he's taking off and you're just buckling in. Like, I don't know where we're going, but th- yeah. he's, he's very fun to listen to. Very fun to listen. That's to. awesome. Yeah. I have to check him out. Yeah. I re- man, I really, I really enjoyed his. And you know, it's funny. I, and he's a super humble guy. I, uh, I, uh, when I got to interview him, I asked him, I said, so, Hey, if, if people want to connect with you, hook up with you, um, you know, maybe maybe social media or or see some other stuff you're up to. Where can they Where can they go? He said, "I don't have my own website." I said, "Okay." And he said, "And I don't do social media." Okay, all right. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, it was just like, "Yeah, sorry." I mean, I just do what yeah. I do, and you know. So I I asked him about the asked him about the sermon, and he said, "Well." He said, "You just heard the audio." He said, "There's no way for you to see the video unless you see the uh, the the service unless you were there." He said, "You know, when I preached this last sermon, I preached it from two different pulpits. And so when you heard the illustration part about somebody else, I went to this pulpit. When you heard me talking about Simeon in the temple when Jesus was born, I went to this one. And it was just a really, just a really cool." and, but you could hear it. You could hear it in the way he preaches. So yeah, I think you would. I think you would enjoy his his style. Speaking of uh, the emotion inside the pulpit, the emotion inside the preaching. Yeah. Do, you, do you sense that? Uh, do you sense that when you say when you say culture, some cultures are scared of the emotion of it? I assume you mean preaching. But what do you mean by by, by what cultures? I mean I, I know as, as white folks, I think to myself, man, I would. If, if I had Albert Tate in our sanctuary preaching on a Sunday morning, what would be the people's reaction to this? Like, what would be their reaction? Yeah. That's
2: a strange thought for me because I don't know what it would be. You know, I don't know what. The um, reaction would be. Well, I think I um, so I've preached in all kinds of cultures. So um, and people are fine with expressing emotion. If you don't believe me, uh, go to a Laker game. Or watch the Ohio the the college uh, playoffs. Yeah, these white folks are jumping up and down and screaming their heads off. Mm-hmm. So they are not without emotion. Yeah, uh, uh, a lot of church cultures haven't given permission or lent themselves to that kind of emotion. Uh, and there there there's expressive emotion and then there's reflective meditative emotion. Uh, and in most, um, not most, but in a, in a lot of white churches. Um, and, and and to be honest, uh, people of color, people opt into reflective, meditative emotion um, in those spaces because they feel like the church lends itself to that kind of sacred, quiet, soft um, man in the black church. Um, our roots in Africa, we we've, we've just captured uh, the fullness of that emotion where we can be reflective, quiet and and meditative, but also celebratory uh, with dance, with shout, with running. Um, He is worthy of it all. So Mm -hmm. to give people permission to engage those emotions, I feel like, is where you begin with that. Because you were screaming and shouting because of a basketball that was dunked the other night. Let me tell you about something that was dunked over 2,000 years ago. Uh, and a victory was one that was changed your life. I think it's worthy of expression. Uh, but there's freedom in that. Our church is diverse. We got a multi ethnic church, bro. We got people that run the aisles. We got a sister that'll run the aisle. She was running the aisle the other Sunday, and we got folks that's, pres- that's Presbyterian and never seen anybody run other than on a on a on a track field. So it's like, where's is, where's is she going, ma'am? Right. Uh, uh, so we've got it all, and I feel like that's the beauty of the, the, the body of Christ. You don't have to you don't have to be in one lane.
1: Yeah
2: yeah
1: um, do you think, do you think some of that what you see especially in white churches where that that emotion um, maybe I wouldn't say restricted or or maybe it's just been it's just that's just been the precedent that's been set uh, Do you think some of that has to do with with uh, with preaching that, that maybe preaching hasn't done its job because I mean in, in in the quiet of study stuff moves me to that place you know? To where, for no reason, I'm standing in my office by myself, my hands up, I'm hollering. You know, driving down the road, I'm crying. Whatever it is, do you think some of that has to do with the preaching? That sometimes preachers just don't let themselves go to that place. That yeah. It excite. I mean, that's the thing the Lord spoke to me just about my just about my own my own life, Jared. I, I made you to inspire. Like I want you to inspire. Like this is the deal. And that's not to suggest that I'm a very inspiring person, but. I've made you to inspire the people, and so like if the people are not inspired, kind of lands on me a little bit for not giving what I need to give. What do you what do you think of that?
2: Well, two things. I think number one, I don't feel like there's a there's a right or wrong, so I don't feel like every preacher's job uh, and every church service at the end of the day should end up looking like. Uh, the church service where I went to in Africa one time and folks were dancing, shouting, um, and just had, that was the most amazing, beautiful thing I've ever seen. I, it would be wrong for me to come back to my American church and be like, that's how it's supposed to be. So we're going to preach, we're going to sing till y'all look like that. No, um, I don't think that's the goal. However, um, the old mothers at our church used to sing a song. Um, I think it captures the essence um, It says I wouldn't have No religion I couldn't feel sometimes
1: mm.
2: So I feel like In the preaching moment In our worship moment We've got a religion That is so um, So all-consuming And so powerful That we ought to feel that sometimes and that ought to move us sometimes so that means tears should flow every now and then a hand should lift feet should tap body should move um because of the religion that we have uh we need to feel it so if you got a religion and you can't feel that that's a problem
1: yeah that's that's true um there's a. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was telling me um, Albert's Albert's uh, Albert's take on um, some of the conversations that are going on now with racism and diversity, um, and you made a contribution of some sort to. Uh, uh, the Martin Luther King, the uh, uh,
2: letter to a Birmingham jail. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And what, what, what was that? Can you tell us?
2: Yeah. So it's a book that um, that came out a, a little while ago, but it's it's still available with several pastors and leaders contributing. Dr. Martin Luther King wrote a letter from the Birmingham jail because the local white pastors were encouraging him uh, to wait Uh, You're being too aggressive in your pursuit for civil rights. Slow down. Chill Mm -hmm. out. And he wrote a letter saying uh, the time for justice is always now. Uh, And he pushes back on what appears to be this kind of passive route to reconciliation and race. Um, So what we did 50 years later, wrote a letter not from the Birmingham jail, but to the Birmingham jail, it's postured as, as if we were writing to Dr. King and his legacy saying, this is what's happened since you wrote this letter out of the jail. Uh, we, w- we want to send some letters to, to that Dr. King and to that posture and let you know what's happening in the church and what's going on with the reconciliation. So it's very powerful, really creative. It's amazing stories um, and contributions in that book.
1: Yeah. Um, how, did you feel, how did you feel when you got the invitation to
2: be a part of that? Oh, it was very honoring. Uh, a mentor of mine, Pastor Brian Loritz, asked me to be a part of it. As a matter of fact, uh, I was able to come up with the title. So I was I was the one that came up with the title for the actual book, uh, um, and it actually stuck. So that was very gracious. So he was very gracious to let me be a part of it, and I was really honored. Uh, I think Matt Chandler, like Piper, Crawford Loritz. Uh, all, all of the big dogs are in the book so for me to be accounted uh, among that group was very honoring and it was, it was a great privilege Yeah,
1: that's wonderful that's wonderful thank you for doing this thank you so much brother see you all right.
2: again thank you
0: for listening to The Homilist I tell you what that conversation was was very enjoyable for me um, even as I've gone back and I've listened to it and I've pulled some of the some of the insights that he's that he talked about uh, just powerful powerful stuff now this is the season finale yes six episodes in a season this is the season finale um, but next season is lined up part of the third season is lined up and god willing we'll be able to get all that done so this is uh, this is a cool thing so thank you for uh thank you for being a part of this if you have not been over to the homilist website go to the sign up for the exclusive content browse around, check out the videos. We'll catch you next time. See ya.